just the general tone of this conversation. I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right, Scott, how's it going today? I'm doing well. Much different week for me this week. So down in Orlando, tending to my father, who's been in some bad health. So been been a learning experience, right? I got the kids down here with him, getting some time with him and learning life lessons as a son and as a father. So it's been good, far different. Went through a bunch of old pictures, which is always fun, right? I mean, seeing myself as a kid and then being able to take a picture of me and a picture of my son and be like, oh, wow, like we are the same person. Been different, but fun. And Conrad, you just recently wrapped up the podcast with Ange, and I have no idea what happened on that one. So by the time this one You're comes out, to. that secret will be out, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it went very smoothly. No worries about that. And of course, all the best to your dad, for sure. Awesome. Adam, how are things going in your neck of the woods? Looks like you're at home. I am. I'm still at home, which I try to stay here as much as possible. I'm on the Outer Banks, and it's July, so there's really no reason to go anywhere else. But things are going great. We really don't have much sports going on. Our sports right now are surfing more than anything, but the waves have been fantastic the last couple of weeks. The water has warmed up. So it's definitely a good time to be on the Outer Banks. Excited for this discussion. I'll tie a couple of pieces together. I'll mention one thing about, about Scott's point there. Scott's traveling to go down and see his dad at a significant life event. I, I think it's always interesting, especially for us kids of baby boomers. I think we're all going to have to deal with this to some degree. I've got a little bit of this. My parents are local, so I don't have to travel. But the point there is that when people are on a trip like that, they're giving over their opportunity to someone else to take care of them. And in Scott's case, he's staying with family. But I say that because our industry, as we've talked about numerous times, we have these significant life events that are handed over to us that we have responsibility for. That goes back to what we've been talking about with unreasonable hospitality and really the importance of what we do. There's a huge about amount of nobility that's associated with us as a service industry, us as a hospitality industry, and what we're doing for the guests that come to visit us. Countless people are going on trips, just like Scott's going on right now. Last opportunity to be with loved ones or the opportunity for the grandkids to meet the grandparents. These are very significant when people are traveling. So I'm I just remind us all that this is an important industry that we're all involved with. But as far as today's discussion goes, we're going to jump back to someone that we met at Keystone. So Scott and I met Anarag at Keystone. I'm looking forward to maybe just a couple of thoughts with, from Anarag around his experience there and what he got out of that. But it led us down a path of starting to dig in a little bit more with the members of that Keystone retreat. So excited for this one. I had a chance to be in a small group with Anarag for a little bit at Keystone. I love the origin story behind Price Labs. So looking forward to that one. And then just digging into what his vision of the industry is, where we've got revenue management, what the future is for the rest of the industry. Yeah, Anarag, really excited and happy to have you here today. So welcome. So two questions to hit you off with. We'd love to a little bit of background about Price All Labs, right. how it did get started, yeah. and also a song that best describes you. And welcome to the show. All right. Thank you so much, Adam. Thanks, Conrad, for the questions. And Scott, nice to meet you again. Which one do I go with first? The song? Yeah, let's get the song out of the way. I know you're excited about that All one. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think, like, what English songs come to my mind, like, when you say what, what inspires me. And two came in, and I don't know if they, those are the best representatives, but there's one called Under Pressure by Queens. I, I don't know why. It's just an amazing song to listen to. It just makes you feel better. Uh, although I don't know if the lyrics are exactly meant for, for that or not. <laughs> uh, and then there is one from, and I'm going to like butcher this, by Chumba Wumba called Dub Thumping or something like that. And uh, again, like 
just I can put it on anytime and and listen to it. They're both such good songs. Yeah. All right. So we got to pause for a yeah. second. One. Yeah. yeah. Under pressure is fantastic. That's a great addition. Yeah. That's a great song. This great is ring. the first repeat on our Spotify list. We've actually yeah. had Chumbawamba. Brooke gave us Chumbawamba. Yeah. A number of. Yeah. All right. Yes. It's a one hit wonder band though here. Yeah, it's a one-hit wonder band. Yeah. <laughs> now, the other thing yeah. I mentioned, Anurag, is we have yeah. had a guest, Profil, with Haptic, who did give us an Indian song as well. I can't re yeah. remember it off All the top right. of my head. We have yeah. had an okay. Indian song on the playlist as well. All is well. All, All right. is well. Yes. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. I could have done that, but I was like, okay, I will then have to give all the context around it. And let's not go there. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. no Hindi speakers, I think, on the call other than you. Yes. So it's okay. Right. Yeah. It was interesting. I think Aisha, Scott, and Adam were nice enough to give me a ride in Waco. And they could not figure out how to get Spotify to work. And for a solid 15 minutes, there was a Hindi FM station that was playing. And I'm like thinking, okay, these guys know it. Like something's <laughs> up. <laughs> you, you thought you uh, uncovered something about Adam's childhood or something? Yeah. Maybe he had been there for some period of time? <laughs> Yeah, but that's fantastic. Thank you for the song selections. I love a repeat when it's Chumba Wumba. That's fine. We're fine with the repeat on that one. But tell us yeah. a bit more about Price Labs. How did it get started? What was the origin story? I think, for my knowledge, you guys are seeming like the most yeah. popular price software out there and you've you've raised money, you've yeah. had a lot of success, but how did things begin and where are they today? Yeah, so things began back in 2014, almost you can say 2013. My friend from undergrad, or Dom mate from undergrad, Richie, he moved from Louisiana to Chicago to do his like MBA. And uh, he was in Evanston, which is where Northwestern is. And I was in Chicago. I was working at United Airlines at that time, doing very similar things, like building models for coming up with pricing, dynamic pricing for, for United, right? Come summer of 2014 or 2013, one of those. And he, Richie, was listing his roommate who was going to another city for his internship. He was just, I know we hate shared rooms on Airbnb in this industry, but that's what he was listing on Airbnb. And he's, I have no idea what to sell this for. What, how do I set the prices? That was one. Do I sell it for a hundred bucks a night, 200 bucks a night? And then the second part was like, I don't know when there is a peak in demand. Is summer a good time to be in Evanston? Are a lot of people coming in? Is our weekends better than weekdays? I don't even know what concerts are coming up and then things like that. So like, how do you figure this out? So he and I started talking about, okay, airlines do it, hotels do it. If this industry is going to become bigger and bigger, and it, we later realized that it wasn't going to become, it was already pretty big, just that people didn't know about it. You know, people didn't know about it. But you're like, if this is going to get bigger and bigger, then people will need to solve this problem. So then we just started talking about, like, how do we actually come up with all of this? And then we so let me interject this, yeah. for one second. How yeah. many times did Richie have to ask you, and for how long did he have to ask you? He asked. He was pretty persistent. Yes, but we then went ahead and said, "Okay, how would we make the math of it work? How would we get the data? All of that." we had some answers to it, right? Like we did a few mathematical models and figured out, okay, if we had this data, then we could do this. Now the troublesome part was that I'm a data scientist. He's doing his MBA. Like neither of us are software engineers. <laughs> like where do we go from this? Yeah. A third undergrad friend, of, a common friend of Richie and I was also at Northwestern. And he's like, hey, I know this guy who works at, in, in the travel industry and is a full-blown software engineer. I'm like, okay, brilliant. Coffee shop and 
he this third person sana my co-founder he is the complete it took time for richie to convince me we told the story to sana and he's like oh, yeah let's do it and we're like okay this is good we, we have a third person so after that honestly we started building out like it took us 3 months to start collecting the kind of data that we wanted to collect build it out and we wrote it out just for chicago we said okay like we live in chicago we somewhat know the market uh, let's do this did a pilot seemed to work people were very interested there was like interest in trying it we, it was rolled out for free and then spent really the next year year and a half having that go on as we figure out okay who do we speak to who do we like attended verma at some point my first verma in 2015 spoke to a lot of folks from the industry but by 2016 we realized that oh my god there is like this whole landscape of property management systems we don't we like airbnb is not the only thing and verbo is not the only thing it's this is like a full blown industry that a lot of people outside don't realize exists and so since then it has been like constant learning learning one of the reasons like in some ways we were from the travel industry but you're outsiders to the the vacation rental industry right so the only thing that has worked and it continues to work is like constantly talking to folks to say hey, what's bothering you like how can we make this better for you so that's been the journey of saying talking to our customers on an ongoing basis like we all still answer support tickets that come in and see where our customers are struggling what can we do in the product to make their lives better and that has paid off in a good way right when you solve actual customer problems you recognize that and you know that that's been sort of the broad story there's something was... else i told you adam that uh... no that was it that, that was it but i would i love to hear stories yeah. of companies yeah. that are multi-million dollar companies when the idea is sparked but it still takes 3 months to convince somebody that is actually a good idea no i thought it was really interesting the way that richie was pushing you along to do it and you were dragging your feet it is worse than that i don't know if i talked about this part or not but we went in and we did this part time so till 2018 four solid years none of us were actually full time working on this we were still like we're like hey yeah this thing is like working we are making improvements we are talking to customers let's keep doing that and at some point you're like no this is like much bigger let's actually go full on yeah and during that time were you still working at united i was yeah <clears throat> in the beginning i was working full time at united and then i got this like part time thingy where i would work at united in the mornings and then have afternoons off for price labs Yeah. So what and I'm sure I'm jumping around a little bit on the outline we had yeah. here but what do you think is the corollaries from the airlines and what you learn there and what you bring into this industry and maybe what we yeah. still have to learn in this industry that airlines are doing better than us. Yeah, so a bunch of a bunch of things. One the inventory or whatever you want to call it in revenue management whatever you sell is inventory, right? The inventory is very different. Like that that was the number one sort of aha moment when we were discussing this in the beginning to say like how do you model this airlines have it easy in some ways they have other complications but they have it easy in some ways in that they have 100 seats to sell or 300 seats to sell depending on what size plane is flying around right and you can see things real time and they own revenue from all 300 seats right so you might not identify a demand pattern early enough and sell out a ticket for a peak period for cheap but you have an option to correct you still have a lot of your inventory left to figure out that hey actually this is going to be a i'm selling way too fast this is going to be a peak period i should raise my prices vacation rentals 
doesn't happen. There is still some of it. If you're a property manager with 100 properties, you can still correct, but not for that one owner who got sold <laughs> early. Or if you're a vacation rental owner who's doing this by themselves, then like it, all you have is one home. If you sell for the biggest holiday weekend in the year for cheap, that's it. You've lost revenue there. So the biggest one was that, like, even though the problem seems very similar, they're actually not. Like there are some underlying fundamentals that are that apply to both. But at some point, they start diverging and you have to think about, okay, what would I need to do to make this work in vacation rentals? People talk about hotels as a parallel as well. And it's the same story there. Like hotels have it a little easier in that there are 100 rooms. It doesn't matter if two rooms got sold for cheap because what matters to the hotel is how much did 100 rooms make. But vacation rentals have this shared ownership of the revenue, right? As a property manager, you might be fine because you have 100 homes. But those two owners might not be satisfied if, if, if they got bookings for, for not as much. The other big difference is, at least it was back then, it continues to be in some ways, is availability of data. Clients have owned all of their data, right? They, every single booking comes through them. Uh, a lot of times in vacation rentals, because the product is so different, uh, you might have one home here and one home five miles down or three miles down you can't necessarily use both of those homes data together. So like your data becomes a lot more fragmented than somebody like a hotel where everything is in one location is identical. Whereas homes tend to be unique, they be in unique locations. It's why people love vacation rentals, right? Like they can be right at the beach instead of, or next to where your grandparents live instead of trying to find a hotel, which is maybe five miles away and, and things like that, right? So all of these uniqueness factors make it just a harder problem to track down. If you are, it becomes a lot more important to use market data to understand some trends uh, than it is in, in airlines. Airlines almost exclusively rely on their own internal data because their internal data is very rich. Whereas if you, depending on the size, if you have hundred units, you have enough internal data. But if you have, if you're managing five units, you can't really get any trends out of out of that information. Or if you have a hundred units, but they're spread all around the town, then you can't get uh, as much meaningful information out of that. So, like, how do you how do you look at the market data? Recognize that my property is actually different from the market, but I can still learn something from the market and something from my own thing. And this is where like the aha moment came, which is crazily enough something United also did, and all airlines do. We had a team of about. 20 data scientists, all PhDs, and a team of about 40 engineers building the revenue management system. Like it had existed since the 90s and undergoing constant updates and things like that. And you'd think when you have that, you can just set it and forget it. And it's not that. There is a team of 150 to 200 market analysts sitting on top of the revenue management system even in such a mature industry saying, hey, I know something that's happening in Albuquerque that that the algorithm might not be picking on because there is no market signal, but I might know it because I read something on the news, right? And, or I'm keeping tabs on the market and this is my job. Like I, <laughs> I know what might come here. And there are examples of this. Let me think of the easiest. An example somebody gave in vacation rentals actually came from Madrid where they said Champions League final, this is 2018, was going to be in Madrid. And they said, it's either going to be like Liverpool or Real Madrid was who's going to play. 
and I might be misremembering the exact teams, but the countries were correct. And they said, if Real Madrid wins this, whatever semi-final equivalent of this is, the US championship is in Madrid, hardly anybody would come and no big deal. But if, if, the, if Liverpool wins this, it's English fans pay a lot, English fans party a lot, this is going to be crazy. So like, they are tracking the match in time to say, okay, depending on who is going to win, I'm going to change my prices. So it's that, realizing that it's never, not going to say never, that human involvement will always be there because humans will bring in their perspective, their judgment, their understanding. A home might look the same, two homes might look the same to the algorithm, depending on what data points are available. But maybe one of them just looks nicer and it and nicer might be the in thing today and it wasn't last year. And somebody would know that hey, this is in trend this year, it might book off at a better rate. So understanding that the tools that we want to create are not where there is a switch and you come in and say, hey, Price Labs, take care of this. It had to be interactive to say, hey, Price Labs, what do you think will happen? And then letting the property manager or the revenue manager say, here's what I think will happen. How do you marry those and then get the best results out? I feel like one thing I'm curious about on the data side too is the boom of inventory that's come in. So when a market yeah. has, I'll just make it a round number to make it simple. In 2019, a market had a thousand listings. Today, that number yeah. could be 2000 listings, like the inventory could yeah. have doubled. So yeah. how do you guys track that? Because I feel like one really complicated factor compared to like airlines, like you were saying earlier, yeah. I know this because I live near a small airport. Like there's only so many, yeah. there's only two or three airlines yeah. that go to certain locations. I yeah. imagine it's a little simpler. It's not like 10 new airlines are going to hop up and start to offer yeah. Myrtle Beach to Charlotte yeah. trips. It's yeah. very restrictive. So I guess I'm curious your perspective on that over the past few years. What do you do? How does the data compare when a lot of new inventory comes online? Some of it yeah. may be good quality, some of it okay quality, some of it probably really yeah. nice quality and everything yeah. in between yeah, how do you handle that? Yeah. So one important thing is the models generally in any revenue management system are not necessarily just in the moment and living, looking forward, or they are not necessarily just looking backward. Let's say last year, and there's a concept called pacing, and I'll try my best to like very easily explain this, where suppose today, today is July 14th, right? And I'm looking at the month of August. And August right now in where I'm located or where the property is located in that market, it looks like August is, let's say, 60% booked. And by itself, that doesn't tell me everything that I need to know. Yes, it is 60% booked, but is it good or is it bad? We don't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you go a year back, you go two years back and say, on July 14th, 2022, how was August looking? And if August was at... 70%, then I can say that, hey, look, by this time last year, a lot more properties were already booked. There is there is some softening of demand. And it's possible that it's not softening of demand, but it is increase in supply. Maybe the demand has stayed the same, but the supply has increased. But what it's resulting in is that now there is a lesser chance of your property being booked. Even though demand has stayed the constant, supply has increased, and we are able to tell this, that if I were sitting on July 14th, 2022 or 2021, and I was looking forward to August, compared to that, I have actually deals. So that helps us tell, say that, okay, it, it almost doesn't matter whether supply has increased or the demand has reduced. The net effect is the same, that uh, the chances of me getting booked have reduced, so I need to move my price. It could also go the other way to say, hey, look, last year, 
uh, August 15th was, and it, it, I'm talking about August as a whole, but it could be that August has softened. But there is one weekend in August, which last year was 80% and this year is at 90%. Maybe there's some big event that got even bigger and a ton of demand is coming in. And even though the supply is higher, it's booked even more. We, our algorithm will say, hey, look, most of the August, you need to reduce it. But that weekend, you can actually bump up even more and then you'll be fine. Does that sort of... Yeah, no, I think that's good. Yeah. That's a good breakdown of it for sure. And I think, Adam, I was going to go your direction because we have t- we've talked a lot about some markets are down, some markets are up. What do we mean by up and down? I guess I'm curious, kind of your perspective on that, having been on the vendor side, although not to my knowledge on the pricing side, yeah. how does the property manager take in that data and make use of it? What's your thoughts on that, Adam? I'm Yeah. And I want to flip this back to Interog relatively quickly. And I'll, I'm will i going to tie it back to some things, some discussions that are happening in the market, because I'm curious about your perspective on it. But I want to answer that question first, Conrad. And I think there's a strong point during my time on the vendor side, the industry was growing tremendously. So there there really hasn't been that much of a need on the property management side to look at data on the negative, right? For the most part, since 2008, yeah. the property, the data has been showing that it's going up uh, almost uh, continually, maybe some blips here and there, depending on markets or because of events to Anarog's point, there's local events that could change things. But overall, the industry has continued to go up. So I think that these pricing tools up to this point have mainly been used almost to justify price increases, not necessarily to look at things and say, hey, what's happening in the market? What's happening in the industry? What are we going to project as we go forward? Most of those projections have just been going up. Now, my my flip back to you, Anurag, and I'm curious about this, your perspective as a pricing company, as a data company, how much do you look at this data and try to draw storylines? Because data and statistics can be manipulated depending on what you're looking for. Not necessarily manipulated, but you can find the picture that you're looking for when you go in that data. And there was this Twitter thread a couple of weeks ago that went viral that everyone was talking about because they were talking about how Airbnb had dropped significantly. And, and that person looked at data and, and was able to tell a story. Other people looked at data and, and told a different story. So mm-hmm. you, as the leader of Price Labs, not only yeah. managing from a pricing perspective, but also just overall industry data perspective, yeah. do you look at that data and try to tell a story? And if you do you keep that inside the Price Labs walls? Do you guys talk about that externally? How do you think about the overall story behind some of this data? Yeah, there are two answers to this. Till 2020, we were primarily, we were getting all of this market data, but our primary consumption of that data was to say our dynamic pricing. Like how do you, when should prices go up, when should prices go down? And we would show what's happening in your neighborhood to our customers. But that was about it. If you were using Price Labs and you had a property, you could go look at this data. Come 2020, all of a sudden, because of COVID, one of the needs that a lot of our customers told us about was that, hey, look, demand has dried up. I'm not getting bookings. Is there a way I can check if, like, when something begins to come back in? Right. So that's where we created a new product and we call it market dashboards where we say, hey, look, you don't need to have a property. Just put in an address, tell us how wide of an area you want to look at. And we'll tell you, are bookings coming in? How is it performing year over year and things like that. And that product has evolved a lot since like in the beginning, we just, it was just a COVID response product in, in some ways to say, tell me when the bookings have come back up to pre-COVID levels or is there something that I can get, right? And this was May 2020 or May of June 2020, right? And then now it has become a full benchmarking solution, right? So like anybody can go in, create an account, say, 
I want to look at data for this market. Is Phoenix actually 40% down or whatever, 47% down or not? And we looked at that data and we we're like, no, it's not. What are we talking about? What just happened here? <laughs> so that's one story. And, and that is still looking at a market level. This year, one of the big initiatives we have is actually exposing that data at a broader industry level to anybody. Like you don't need to create an account. Actually on our landing page, there is a page which says, hey, what kind of industry trends are going on? And you can go look at Arizona there and say, hey, is Arizona's RevPAR pacing, how much behind is RevPAR pacing for Arizona this year compared to same time last year? So it's not just answering what happened in May. It's also trying to answer what is going to happen in August, what is going to happen in September. Because if I can get a little bit of future insight, that's that's like actually more valuable, a little more actionable than just saying, okay, the past few months were soft, but I can actually say past few months might have been soft, but things are beginning to look up in August. August demand still seems strong. So we have actually have a tool out there that we rolled out to help answer these questions. Haven't started really blaring it out to say, hey, look, everybody should follow this, but the tools exist for anybody who is curious. Do you find that most, because there's a few pricing and data companies in the industry now, do yeah. you find that yeah. as you compare the statistics among the, yeah. the companies? Petition, do you find that they line up pretty well? Everybody's telling the same story. Other than the one Twitter thread that you were quoting, <laughs> the rest of the stories seem to be very similar. Like demand is down this year in US and demand is higher this year compared to the past two years in Europe, in most European markets. And there is there are very solid reasons for both. US being the strongly independent country it is, like and geographically much wider or much larger in country that it is after COVID, like vacation rentals, especially in remote areas, saw such a boom, right? Cities in US actually went down quite a bit in the last few years. So cities in the US are actually coming back up now, some of them at least. But compared to last two years, things have softened up. They're actually still pretty okay compared to pre-COVID. So it's not that bad <laughs> as long as you didn't get used to the highs. And in, in Europe, it's different. Like COVID hit, very strong lockdowns. They stayed in place for a much longer time. So Europe, most of Europe is actually looking stronger than the last two years this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And that kind of maps a little bit more similar to what we've seen with some of our clients. One thing I've heard just as me personally speaking over the past month that it's rare that I hear the same thing from everybody is last minute bookings. That's the number one thing I've heard over the past month. Everything yeah. feels last minute right now. Do you have any yeah. sense of that or any data that supports that kind of anecdotal point of view from the property manager. Oh, yeah, so some of them are, yeah, yeah go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, finish. I was going to say like, it's, it's interesting because some of them are happy, relatively speaking with occupancy yeah. rates, maybe a little bit down, they pulled back rates a little yeah. bit, but they're like, I ended up okay. Let's say yeah. we're recording this middle of July. Yeah. Some people were like, June was okay. Like I was relatively happy yeah. with overall revenue, but it was terrifying because it was all like, I didn't yes. know what to do. I was about to write. And then last minute, oh, it booked. And then they're like, okay. Then they had that sigh of relief. Yeah. So I guess I'm just curious the data that supports that. Yeah. Um, it takes a strong heart to go through that, right? Like you have to wait till last minute for every single book. So generally speaking, this is true for every low demand period that bookings will be more last minute than for the high demand periods. Now, even in high season, if this high season is softer than last high season, generally speaking, that will hold true. That lead times will shrink. In COVID, this was like, COVID gave like the 
clearest reason why there, there was so much uncertainty of will there be a lockdown will i be able to travel nobody was booking more than three days out like you landed up in a city and then you booked something uh, to to make sure that, that all of that is taken care of and there are two reasons for it like when the economy is booming when there is shortage of supply you want to make sure that the home that you want to book actually you're able to book it is in your interest to book it early right when demand is softer one you know that demand is softer like the industry is down economy is down which means a lot of other people are not booking which means the homes that you want they'll still be available they're still there i can wait i don't have to like book much farther up there's no competition to grab that and then also there is that uncertainty like i might say why should i book early when i don't even know where the economy is going if you're booking 6 months early then you're like very sure of your like your own your home economics or whatever that hey yeah there's something i'm okay doing this right now my job is secure or whatever else but if the economy is soft both of these interactions happen right one you know that everybody else is not booking up which means things are going to be available and then two you want to be a little cautious to say okay i'll decide later if i want to go on this vacation or not um, yeah. so true that is one the second piece is and and we've been looking at this data since 2018 2019 i think in 2019 at the dam conference amy's conference we had shown this data of 2017 2018 2019 every single year the number of last booking minute bookings was increasing or the proportion of last minute bookings was increasing yeah and that also happens because more and more people were booking online so when you have to call someone up and book then you try to plan a little early and then people are getting more and more used to like not planning early essentially do you see shorter yeah. stays at the same time so they're booking late and they're staying for shorter stays that generally is dependent on the location there are some places where a lot of mid term stays have become more prominent generally speaking though in core core vacation rental locations shorter stays have become more common it has it, there used to be a time i think outer banks is the prime example where like saturday to saturday seven night bookings during summer i think for a lot of property managers is the standard and it is a great strategy when your guest persona already knows about it and agrees to it which like not carolina i must say is one of those markets where like everybody knows at this point that yeah you do saturday to saturday like why would you do anything else and it is so efficient if you think about this as a resource problem every time somebody books a saturday to friday and a sunday to something else and those two nights sit in between that are empty it is a resource that got wasted in some ways right but if everybody agrees that we'll only do saturday to saturday then no nights get wasted and you end up with perfectly packed back to back calendar which is great this is efficiency at its best right but not every location like guests in every location are not necessarily agreeing to that not everybody says a lot more people today make weekend trips a lot more people today make those four night trips where they are able to like work from home on friday and on monday and do things like that right so over time generally the there seems to be also trend of do two vacations instead of one long vacations so like a lot of these things together mean that your calendar's efficiency might be perfect if you do only saturday to saturday but you might not end up seeing all that demand that wants something else depending on again where you're located you might want to study the data for that market and say okay is are people booking short stays and at some point even 
you don't have to do it for your entire portfolio. You can try doing it for a few properties where your owner agree, owners agree that, hey, look, can we try for these three weeks in May to see if, if we are okay doing three night stays and see raise prices instead of weekly prices, have, have prices that are not like half of the seven night, but a little more than, than that and see, am I making more money? I think we're going to see this change. I think this is the year mm-hmm. that we see some of that change. Because to your point, Anurag, it's very efficient. And I'm speaking anecdotally from the Outer Bank. Yeah. So I agree with you that there is a lot of efficiency that's built into these Saturday to Saturday stays. Yeah. But the market doesn't care about efficiency. If the market yeah. wants something different, then we have to figure out how to bend to that. Now, yeah. what I would say is that if I look back on 2008, the last softening period that we had, there was a couple yeah. things that happened. One was the last minute stays. Two was the request for shorter stays. Now, at the time, the processes and the technology wasn't there necessarily to flex on the shorter stays. So I think as a market, as the Outer Banks market, I think we held to that seven nights, Saturday to Saturday, longer than we will this time. And then the third piece that I haven't really heard that much of is the guest recognizing that it's soft and requesting discounts. Now, I haven't seen as much of the discounts, but I have seen that there are definitely homes around me. We're in the middle of July, homes around me that are sitting empty that traditionally wouldn't sit empty. And I'm also seeing people come and go and different days throughout the week that I typically don't see. So I I think that we're in this part where we're going to see some of these efficiencies, whether it's people on the operations side really looking ahead and think about it, or it's the market saying, I don't care what your efficiencies are. We want to come down on Wednesday instead of Saturday. So figure it out. Yeah. Scott, I was going to go your direction, maybe Scott, really quick. I'm just curious the operational kind of perspective there, I guess, with just with regards to there's an optimal financial outcome and where things are easy, but do you allow that to happen when there's also other costs at play? Like, I feel like the data may say one thing, yes, people will book a weekend when I really want a week, but does that cause a lot of headaches with like turnovers and those types of processes? Yeah. Yeah, this is a great conversation because right now as, as we're as we're growing in, in Ocean City and Delaware and as we're talking to owners, we have owners coming, right, ready to make a change from their current vendor and or their current VRM. And what they're saying is, hey, our revenue was up and they did things differently. And this big brand who, right, we talk about over and over, but what we've, as we've looked at the trends, Conrad, they took a market. Ocean City was much like the Outer Banks. So was Delaware. Very strict. Saturday, Saturday, Saturdays. They came off it entirely. They've mm-hmm. got most of the properties down to two night minimums, which for me, Conrad, Actually, operationally, and Adam and I talked about this, like I'll run that operation every day, all day. Because if you look at it now, instead of stacking up a thousand, right, five thousand, fifty, all on Saturday, they literally have built this model where you have people checking in every day. So they just threw kind of conventionality to the wind and now have it's just these wide open calendars, two night minimums, see you later. And it's driving revenue. And I think to Anarog's point, there's some of it that's sitting, but then people are grabbing it at last minute. This the little stuff that's, yeah, maybe it'll sell. People are coming in and going, I'll just work from there and snatch it up. But operationally, and I'm, I've been a critic of how they operate. But when I started looking at the data, I called Adam and I said, hey, listen, now it makes even less sense to me how they struggle to operate because they've diversified the operation across seven days a week. You're not mm-hmm. dealing with, I need you know, 87 cleaners on this day, right? I've got to have all maintenance, all hands on deck. You've stretched it out over the week. So I'm actually all in for spreading these calendars. And we've wrestled with this, but we're having ongoing conversations because what we knew is market data. We're looking to say, we got to change it. We've got to go to nightly pricing now. Mm -hmm. 
So do you think that's kind of part of the value the tool provides as well? Anarog is the, like Scott had to, I don't want to say this, I don't want to speak for you, Scott, in this way, but like you yeah. kind of had to see for yourself maybe a little bit to to validate Absolutely. that. Do you think there's some data that Price Labs can give a property manager who maybe is a little bit, yes. I have clients who are very traditional yes. in what you're talking about here, where they would not come off that hard check-in dates or it has to be on this day. How, how does the data help convince yeah. someone who maybe wants to be more traditional? I'm curious your perspective. Yeah, so I, I think the biggest problem that comes up here is I'm trying to find the right scientific word for it or English word for it, even not even scientific, but sensor data, maybe that, that's the right word, where if you have only taken seven night minimum Saturday to Saturday, then you don't even get to see the, how much demand there is for other kind of states. I talked about these market dashboards a little bit, and one of the one of the things that they provide is that they're not looking at your data, but they're looking at everybody in this market's data. And thankfully, a lot of property managers might in your market might be seven night Saturday to Saturday, but there are also owners who are doing all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. And that the fact that the industry is diverse that way helps us actually find that. So we are able to show anybody who comes in that, hey, look, you might think this is a seven night market, but a bunch of bookings are happening with the three night stays, four night stays. So if you are if you are stuck at seven nights, then there might be some demand that you're just never getting to see. And there might be a reason to drop it. Now, not everybody is like immediately on board with this, right? So one of the, from the revenue management perspectives, one of the things that we have been proudly enabling since 2017, I think. So like we got that functionality down pretty early is to say, you don't have to be strict with your minimums. It's not like in January, you set your minimum stay to seven nights and that's what you keep it all year long. What you can do, what you can automate is you can say, look, in summer, I want a seven night minimum. The rest of the season, I want a three night minimum or a two night minimum, but it will change over time. If I'm, I've am i hit April end and my own with the seven night minimum is still not booked, I know, and we have data that shows this, that people who book far out are the planners. They actually want these long stays. People who book last minute are clearly not planners. They'll take whatever comes. They'll book the weekend. So let the planners book these big slots, big chunks of days. And then as the dates get closer, if they're not booked, open it up to three night stays for these the last minute bookers. So you don't have to be either or. You can try to do both. And it used to be harder when the distribution wasn't as easy when changing settings wasn't easy. But these are settings and price levels which you can say, hey, this is what I want. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea of flexibility because ultimately I think yeah. that's what that's where I think like you said earlier, there's a scientific component to this thing, pricing yeah. and rates, but there's also an art to it. And I think it's knowing, okay, yeah. now the cliff is passed for the planners. Let me go ahead and yeah. drop down those minimums and things like yeah. that. I think that's very clever. We, I know we've got a few minutes. Yeah, go ahead. I was go saying ahead we actually scientifically also suggest these cliffs. So you don't <laughs> have to go in blind as is yeah. April when I drop it. We actually tell you when you should drop it as well. Yeah which is why you should definitely use Price Labs. But Adam, I know we got a few minutes left. We can go know, in a few different I, directions. Be fun yeah, we'll, this is another one that we'll have to get yeah. Anarag back. We got to get Anarag. We could continue yeah. chatting for quite a while. But yeah. Anarag, just while it's timely, I wanted to get your quick thoughts. I know you guys got a recent round of funding. I'm curious yeah. about, and within the next two minutes, so we get Conrad yeah. off on time, but what do you do with that type of funding? And then what yeah. what is the funding landscape right now look like for all of these companies, software companies that might be looking for funding? It seems like it's changed quite a bit, maybe even since you guys got your funding. 
I think it has changed a lot since we, we took funding. So I actually don't have the good good answer of what does it look like right now? Like the yeah. economy has changed. But we've always been a very lean team. Like till we took funding, we were like operating with about 30 team members, which is like for the scale of customers that we were at, it was very lean. So one of the things that we wanted to do is, okay, a lot of our systems need like complete upgrades, complete overhauls. Like we, we need to add engineers, data scientists to say, we built this seven years back and we have been incrementally doing things, but technology has evolved over time to where like we can actually, and that's what we have a few big rollouts coming up in August and September where, where hopefully it will be easier to see that, hey, look, a lot more can be done now than, than it was possible two years back or three years back. But to do a lot of that rebuilding, it takes it takes some investment, right? It takes hiring ahead of time. So we started on this journey of revamping some of our core underlying data pipelines and algorithms about two years back, right? And all of that will come to fruit in two years. So that's where the funding helps, where like we are able to hire people ahead of time to say, in two years, we want to be ready for this, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, people are expensive. There's no doubt about that. So I love that the funding has enabled to build the platform, make it better. And I always say this too, there's a lot of vendors that we've talked to on the show. And I say, people who use your tool are the happiest. And I feel that way about Price Labs. People that that we talk to in the marketing side that use Price Labs seem really happy. So I think you guys are doing a phenomenal job. That might put us a time. I think Adam's 100% correct. We got to have you back in a row because we didn't get into half the outline that we had. Sorry about that. So we'll have to definitely come back and do it again. This is great. Yeah, we appreciate your time yeah. though today. Anything else, Adam, or should we send everyone on their way? As always, we appreciate reviews. That's a good number for people to do, right? Yeah, that's right. That's what I was going to say. We need <laughs> some sort of price labs for reviews to encourage people to yeah. leave the right reviews at the right time. But yeah, so other than leaving reviews, now great conversation. Thanks for your time, Anarag, and appreciate everyone listening. Awesome. Thanks so much. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please do leave us a review if you appreciate this episode, and we'll be back next week with a new one. Thanks so much.